Trigger warning, this episode discusses sexual violence and trauma. Please be kind to yourself. Resources will be provided at the end of the episode. Welcome back to the Girl Move On podcast. It's Shan. And this is Tiffany. Hello, loves. And this month in April, it is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. The goal of Sexual Assault Awareness Month is to raise public awareness about sexual violence and to educate communities on how to prevent it. Sexual assault or sexual violence is any sexual behavior that happens to a person without their consent. This can include rape, marital rape, statutory rape, incest, unwanted touching, sexual harassment or threats, forced oral sex, or child sexual abuse. Many sexual crimes go unreported. And according to the CDC, women experience sexual violence at a higher rate than men as adults. Nearly one in five women have experienced completed or attempted rape during their lifetime, and nearly one in 38 men have experienced completed or attempted rape during their lifetime. However, more boys experience sexual violence before the age of 10 as compared to girls. One in four male rape victims reported that it recurred before age 10. One in eight female rape victims reported that it occurred before the age of 10. Mm. Stats are staggering. An article from the American Psychological Association in February 2020 states that for every Black woman, Black woman who reports rape, at least 15 Black women do not report. 40 to 60% of Black women report being subjected to coercive sexual contact by age 18. In the Institute for Women's Policy Research, more than 20% of Black women are raped during their lifetimes, a higher share than women overall. Black women also experience significantly higher rates of psychological abuse, including humiliation, insults, name-calling, and coercive control than do women overall. So we decided to have this conversation because I have seen that April is Sexual Awareness Month, and I wanted to have a conversation about it because I don't think enough of us talk about it. Mm -hmm. And again, as we said in the beginning, trigger warning, if this has happened to you, this is a safe space for this conversation, but I just think it's necessary. And we can just talk about it, Chin, and listening to these stats, what did you think? Um, I think it's really alarming, and I think it's often like something that gets looked at as something that only happens to women. So it was really interesting to hear mm-hmm. that for children, that the numbers were higher for boys mm-hmm. under the age of 10 than they are for girls. That was really, really interesting. Um, and like you said, like the number of people that reported to the numbers that don't, I'm sure that that's even more so significant for children. So like those stats probably aren't even the reality for kids. 
Um, so just as a mother of yeah. a son and two little girls, that mm-hmm. was really interesting. Um, and I, I definitely have those conversations with mm. Avery. Like when you go to some, when he, anytime he goes to anybody's house to play family or not, I'm always like, you go to the bathroom by yourself. Don't nobody go with you. You don't need help. Like you're at the age, you don't need anybody to help you. Nobody should be looking at you. Nobody should be touching you. Right. We don't play them games with your friends when everybody's whipping out their penis and doing anything like this is your personal right. body. Yeah. Like that's how far I go. Right. I mean, I'm glad you're um, having that conversation with him so early. Ap- yeah, ap- absolutely. And there's there's no sleepovers, none of that. Um, but That's yeah, interesting. And sleepovers are a big thing. That was now as an adult, I realize why the sleepovers never happened. Even if it was a trusted family yeah. adult in the house, that was just not something my parents let me do. There was no Mm-mm. sleepovers. I don't even remember having sleepovers unless it was like a family member. Yeah. But friends, we didn't have sleepovers like other people do. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. that's and my parents would allude thing. to I've it. Had, mm-hmm. I was just going to say, I've had parents that are like, oh, he can get off the bus and like come to our house or like, I'm like I don't know you. We literally just moved here in August. Like, mm. hell? you think I'm going to just let my kid come into your house without me there? Like, I don't. Mm. Right, because do it, so it may not even be the parent. It could be protective. the friend of the parent and uncle and aunt. Like, you just don't know. You just, and, yeah. And again, like what you said about the children, when I was looking at that, it was higher in in young men, well, boys than little mm-hmm. girls. You always think that families don't talk about this. If something happened to a young child, mm-hmm. the child tells the parent, no one believes them, it's ongoing, but- on the other side, now that I've, you know, I have conversations with men and men in my family, male friends, just if I'm dating and we have, I want to know what happened to you when you were younger. I'm not using that against you, but I want to know mm-hmm. why you operate the way you do. So in even having conversations with them, sometimes it's, well, you know, I lost my virginity at 10 or nine to a babysitter, to an older woman, things like that. And mm. that's scary. Yeah. That's not something to brag about. That is trauma. Yep. And I want men to understand that that could be a root for a lot of the issues you have around sexuality now. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we may joke and say a lot of men don't like women, but that could have been the beginning of it. What if somebody hurt them so bad when they were younger that every woman now reminds them of that person that mm-hmm. exerted their power over them or expose them to that sexual violence yeah so having that conversation really early on with your just your family member if somebody makes you feel uncomfortable not forcing a child to go hug their aunt or uncle or go have conversation be alone with people if they don't feel comfortable really paying attention to how your spirit feels around somebody even Mm -hmm. as an adult but I've seen kids like f- look squeamish around certain adults, and I'm mm-hmm. mindful of that. Yep. You know, like yeah, what do kids are innocent? Yeah. What do they see that we don't see? Yep. Um, yeah, I'm all about like children, like you just said that that innocence and catching up and like not catching up, but recognizing things that we may not notice. And so mm-hmm. I'm definitely not that. And, you know, having my Hispanic husband, but I'm not that person that's like everybody walk around the room and go kiss everybody. Like, yes, I'm yes, not doing that. Say yes, hello, like have manners, yes. but you don't have to hug. N- nobody has to touch you. It's, it's yes. not necessary. I'm not forcing you 
to do any of that because that that to me is sending the wrong message about just physical contact that yes that it's warranted in every situation among family among friends no if your spirit does not feel good around somebody you need to be mindful of that Mm -hmm. very very mindful of that and as we've gotten older just thinking about have we ever experienced any of the sexual violence under the umbrella that we that you defined you uh personally i haven't um but i'm aware of people that have been in that situation i've had people share things with me um but i cannot personally speak to it i think in my own experience just when you get older and you start dating and you start talking to people and you may not be as comfortable with yourself. I remember times and I've had this conversation with close girlfriends just when we were younger thinking that sometimes that coercion was there and you felt Mm -hmm. like you had to do it or someone touched you, but you may not be as comfortable, but you allowed it to happen because you wanted that person to like you or you Mm -hmm. felt like, your sexuality was your power or you used it to garner attention or harness power Mm -hmm. over a man. And it's scary the amount of things that just in hindsight now being older Mm -hmm. and thinking about as a young woman, just, you know, you, we weren't, okay, let's say you were younger, you went on a date with someone and by younger, I mean like before driving age, you go on a date with someone and they kiss you and you may not feel as comfortable with that. Or you're at their house and things start happening and you don't want to seem like a prude. So you let it happen. And afterwards you feel absolutely disgusting. Mm. So it was those feelings and realizing like, Hey, I don't like that. And trying to understand yourself as a woman, you get older. I don't like that. I'm not going to let it happen anymore. And being more upfront to have those conversations about what feels good to you and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. So now I look at it as there can be a healthy sexual tension. It can exist, but nothing has to occur. Yeah. So I have, when someone is too, and that's a red flag, a red flag for me when someone's too Too touchy feely, too Mm -hmm. aggressive, too touchy feely, a lot of love bombing. If you say you don't like something, then it's the gaslighting. Well, well, you did this, so why don't you let me do this? You have to set clear boundaries. And the only mm-hmm. way you can set clear boundaries is when you understand yourself more. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think it's important that one of the examples listed was marital so- right? Because that's a whole nother thing is people thinking because you're dating somebody or married married. to them that you're required to give in when they give in or that it can't be considered rape. But it's like the title says, no is a complete sentence. So no matter what our relationship is. Mm -hmm. Consent is very important. I don't, you know, it might seem cliche for people now, but consent is a real thing. Someone has to tell you, yes, it doesn't matter. It could have been y'all are hot and heavy. You're making out. It's happened before. Y'all have had sex before. But in that moment, if that person says no, or they don't feel comfortable, you have to stop. Mm -hmm. You have to stop. So yeah, this is this is this is a touchy subject. This is a touchy subject because I need everyone to really sit down and think about 
what has happened in their past that can be rooted in trauma in your sexuality. And like I've, I've mentioned in the pleasure principle episode, I have a diary, not, not a, like a journal, a sex journal, because a lot of the trauma in my life is rooted from sexual experiences that I've had with other people. Not only, you know, if it's a death in the family or you feel like you're not controlling something or imposter, it's none of, it's none of that. A lot of my stuff admittedly is rooted in sexual trauma. Mm -hmm. And I would just encourage people to really figure out where a lot of your trauma is coming from and how you're dealing with it. Yeah, that's the part is healing and and figuring out how you're going to process and deal with it Mm -hmm. rather than just burying it. Because when you bury something that something negative that's happened to you, whether it's this topic or something else, it definitely finds its way and seeps out in other areas, whether you acknowledge it or not. Absolutely. And we're, we just need to, this is a part of my healing. This podcast is a part of my healing. It, I've always struggled with being vulnerable and showing my true self because I felt that I had to play the good girl role or you can't have certain conversations or having these conversations would make make people uncomfortable. Mm. But I believe that, you know, at some point you're going to have to show your true self and the things that have happened to you because in doing so you can help someone else heal. And... Just having a lot of patience with myself. I have to say it out loud. I am a survivor of sexual violence. In January 2021, a man that I met on our first date raped me. We met on a popular dating app. He was in his early 30s. He is 6'5". He is mixed race. He is from New Jersey. And he is a self-described man of the church with four kids, but never married. That is his profile, just in case. But we talked for about a week and we planned on going on a date the Friday after But we both had a bad day, let's say that Thursday before, and decided to meet for drinks. I was still very new to Dallas. Um, As you all recall, I moved in October after having surgery and still healing, and this occurred in January. So this was very hard for me to even to start dating again because I don't really like new people but I was trying to get outside my comfort zone and date in a new city. So he said, and of course I wasn't driving at the time. So he asked if we could meet at some place that he's a regular at. So he sent the Uber and talked to me the entire time I was in the Uber because um, I didn't know where I was going. And at the time I was living in West Dallas and I was traveling to the colony. So that's about 30 minutes out. And I'm giving these details because you need to remember details if anything like this ever happens to you. So I meet him outside the bar. He 
is not what I expected. Yes, we FaceTime. Yes, we I've seen the pictures, but you know, people look different than their pictures sometimes. So I immediately wasn't attracted to him, but it's okay. You're getting to know new people. I told myself that just going to have a drink and chat and go home because I am very serious about my bedtime. So we go into the bar. We're having a conversation. I already knew in my head I friend zoned him. I didn't drink a lot at all. And I, the conversation we were having turned when he started asking me about my sexual experiences. Do I have sex on the first date? All of these things. And I was very clear about my boundaries and saying, no, that wasn't something I was interested in. I like to get to know somebody. And he was just kept pushing about, do you sleep over? Do you do this? And I just didn't like it. I didn't like the conversation where it was going. Now, mind you, he said he's a regular at this bar, but he was not interacting with any of the bartenders. And anytime I go somewhere, I always get the name and speak to people because I just feel like if you're at a restaurant, you should know the people who are serving you your meal or your drinks. So I remember talking to the bartender. And then as soon as I started talking to the bartender, that's when he started talking to the bartender. So that was weird. And the bartender said, yeah, I'll get you guys some shots. At that time, I went to the bathroom. When I came back, I had half of the shot and one more drink. I started to feel disoriented um, once I stood up. And I went to the bathroom once again. And when I came back, he attempted to kiss me. And it felt very weird. We left the bar. And he said we were going to another location. We drove about seven minutes, seven, ten minutes away and parked near like a garage space, but it looked like a apartment complex. And I didn't know where we were. I really was very disoriented. Uh, He said that we're at his place. We're just going to stop here. And I just remember him helping me out the car and going upstairs. And then we were in his apartment and he was, he made another drink and I felt really woozy. And I just like laid down. He said, he asked me, do you want to have sex? And I said, no. He asked me if I was ovulating. And I I blacked out. At that point, I don't know what happened. I didn't feel anything. I opened my eyes. He was between my legs. I couldn't feel anything. I blacked out again and I woke up and I thought I was bleeding. He was not anywhere near me. And I was startled because I knew my period was supposed to come and I was just not in that frame of mind to even sleep with anybody. I'd never consented to it. I ran to the bathroom and... um Yeah, uh, he definitely had sex with me. Um, He, there was, there was, um, there was, this is not sadness, this is anger. There was semen all over me. He came inside of me. It was 
I cleaned myself up and went to look for him. He was in the living room. I asked him what he did to me. He told me, oh, I guess you don't want to stay. I guess you have to go home now. I tried to regain my composure because in that moment I knew fighting back would not be helpful. He is two, three times bigger than me. There was no way. So I got an Uber home. He laid on the couch. He did not move. I stood outside. I waited for my Uber trying to figure out what the hell just happened. My Uber driver spoke to me, talked to me the entire ride home, and I could not even function. I couldn't even keep my head up. As I'm driving home, I realized the bar was like a few minutes from his house. And in the back of my mind, I thought this was a setup. But I didn't know for sure. I got home. The Uber driver said, hey, you don't look so good. And I'll just, you know, I'm going to watch from the car, make sure you get inside. I got inside. I ate something. I took a shower and I went to sleep. I woke up that morning. Now I'm working remotely. So I woke up that morning trying to get ready for work and I couldn't function. I called my brother. I told him I don't feel right. He said, what happened? I told him I went out with a guy last night. And usually I tell my mom and brother when I'm going out with somebody, I told my mom, I didn't tell my brother. My brother is a cop. He said, hey, Tiff, What's like, tell me the symptoms. Like, do you have a headache? Does your body ache? I said, yes. He said, okay, I think something may have happened to you on that date. I need you to go get your clothes, put them in a brown paper bag and call 911 and go to the ER. And I cried because never in a million years would I have imagined this would happen to me. Not the way I am, not the way I try to protect myself and control every situation, but this was a life lesson for my ass. Um, I called 911. When a situation like this occurs, you have to go back to where it happened. So I had to go back to the colony, to the, the hospital there, and to deal with the police there. I got in another Uber. The Uber driver was very nice. He told me, whatever you're going through, because I was sobbing the entire ride. He told me, whatever you're going through, I'll pray for you. When I got out the car, he hugged me and told me I'm going to be okay. The cops met me at the ER. Uh, I think it's best to have the cops there with you because they will escort you through the hospital and you do not have to wait for anyone. Anyone. They did a SANE exam. The forensic nurse... The forensic nurse uh, put me in a room by myself, explained everything to me. Uh, they have to do testing. They have to basically do like your GYN exam, and they also do um, a rectal exam. I had bruising. In, I had bruising and tearing. And I would never wish that on anybody, how intrusive that exam was. And they asked you a lot of questions, but they were very, very kind to me in that moment. This is just a point of clarification. After the SANE exam, you'll go back into another, the initial examination room where you will 
give the police a detailed account of the incident, and then you will receive a cocktail of drugs, of medical drugs, obviously, to prevent pregnancy and STDs. But upon discharge, it's your responsibility to follow up with your PCP or gynecologist to have another pregnancy test done, an examination, and STD testing as well. Thank God I was able to see my doctor afterwards. I was not pregnant. I did not have any STDs. But again, we don't know what could have happened. But I wanted to provide that point of clarification so that with that transparency, it could help someone else. I was discharged the same day. The cops paid for my Uber home. They kept in touch with me. I had to meet with the detective in two weeks. When I went home, I told one of my friends that lives close by, and she came over, and she just let me lay there. And she didn't ask me a whole bunch of questions. And I just stayed in the house for almost a month. It was hard to work. It was hard to function. Um, people offered to come and stay with me. Shan offered to come and stay with me, but I couldn't face them because I knew I felt ashamed that this happened to me. I told my job, well, I told my supervisor that um, this happened to me the day it happened when I was going to the hospital because I had to call out of work. She called me later on to ask me how I was doing, and I told her I just needed a couple days off, and she told me I couldn't take the days off because I had a conference to go to. Mm. So I laid in bed for a week. And I did work. And I kept the brave face that I've always kept. And I'm tired. I got tired every time I told one of my close friends they cried. Or told me about what had happened to them. It should never happen to anybody. I went to the detective two weeks later. I pressed charges against him. A year later, the case is still open. They finally interviewed him and got a sample. And I'm waiting for this to go to the district attorney. And I will not stop until he has to face what he did to me. This woke me up. I put myself in isolation. I, he knew where I lived. And I sat by that window every day and looked for his car just in case he ever tried to come find me. I had to move. I bought my house far away from the city to isolate myself. I think about this every day. Every night before I go to sleep, I run through the whole situation again from top to bottom. Every night, I lock every door. 
I go, I don't go out at night. I don't even like being around people like that. I don't trust men. And I love love, but I don't trust it because I never want somebody to hurt me like this again. I started therapy in June. Um, my therapist was amazing. She was very understanding. Um, I did free cognitive. June of last year. June of last year. Yeah, June of last year. Uh, We did cognitive processing therapy where I explored topics around shame, control, isolation, creating subpoints, thoughts and actions. And your thoughts, actions are cyclical. So if I always feel like I have to isolate, I'll continue to isolate. What shame did I have around the situation? Uh, uh, Issues around intimacy, how I could cope, having realistic and helpful thoughts in an effort to clean this wound that has been opened up. I love therapy. It helped me so much. And it, I love that therapy is like cleaning the soil so that you can, so that I could grow more, more healthy. It was like watering yourself. I had to clean the soil to water myself. Um, Shan helped me find uh, the Dallas Area Rape Crisis Center, and they have been amazing. They, I've had an advocate. That's how I got therapy. My advocate helped me to talk to the detective. She spoke to him when I couldn't. Uh, they helped me get out of my lease because I was only living there for six months before I moved. Uh, they helped me with medical expenses. It's, it's, it's been a lot. It's been a lot. And I think I'm only on the other side of healing now. But I share this because I know it's happened to a lot of my friends. And they won't say anything. But I want you to know you can say something. And don't let anybody silence you. Don't let anybody hurt you and then silence you. And just remembering that you are a survivor, not a victim. Because I I wish I, I was ashamed. I was ashamed. I felt like anytime I went outside, somebody could see it because I felt it. And just remembering you're a survivor and that I'm here and that could have gone a million different ways. I could have died that night. He could have kidnapped anything. But God. But God. And every day I'm grateful for every breath I take in my body because I know there are plenty times that plenty of things that have happened to me where I couldn't have been here. And I think what you just said about 
being a survivor versus a victim is really important for people to hear. Um, especially after the beginning, like you said, like never thinking that this would happen to you the way you try to protect yourself. And like, again, we kind of talked about this in a previous episode about, you know, the way that we dress as women or as young girls growing up and knowing like you go out into the streets, be aware of your surroundings, don't dress a certain way, don't carry yourself a certain way. So just like thinking that you're doing everything right to protect yourself and for that to happen and just acknowledging that this didn't happen because of anything that you did. This is something wrong with the person that did it to you is very, very important. I think in terms of healing and in terms of being able to come out and say something about it so that something can be done is that you have to recognize that this didn't happen to you because you did something or because you didn't do something. And and just in hindsight, just, I give you all a lot of the facts, but in therapy, I have to, the amount of times I had to repeat the entire incident to her and then, you know, explain my feelings in the midst of that. And then my feelings now. So let's say therapy was six months in the first two months. She said, okay, I want you to explain it, write it down and read it over for a week and input everything at how you felt exactly at that point. And then towards the end of therapy, I had to discuss how I felt about the incident after. Mm-hmm. And there is a vast difference before between how I felt about it initially and how I felt it towards the I felt about it towards the end of therapy. Because in the beginning all I kept thinking was, Tiffany, you knew something didn't feel right. Why would you stay there? Why wouldn't you leave? Why wouldn't you do this? Why wouldn't you do that? I keep asking myself why and not thinking I didn't deserve. I deserve respect, love, and peace just because I fucking exist. No one should take advantage of anyone because they feel like they want to dim that person's light or they want to show them that they can knock them off their pedestal. I know I come across headstrong, very confident. I know what I want. I know what I don't want. Some men do not like that. And I felt like I was not my best self when I betrayed myself, when my intuition told me Hey, he likes to talk about himself a lot. Hey, when you tell him something's wrong, he gets very defensive. I want you to be mindful of the people that you are letting into your spirit, into your environment. I don't want this to happen to anybody else. When you're on these dating apps, be careful. Vet the people, not because you think you're the baddest bitch in the world. It's not that. It's because you have to protect yourself. I, while this experience is nothing I would put on anyone else, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. You start questioning everything you've ever done in your life, everything you've ever experienced, especially when it comes to intimacy with other people, 
have I always had consensual sex? Have what has this been a holistic experience for me? Do I make my partners feel comfortable? Do I feel comfortable with my partners? How does my body respond to this person? This occurred in January. I attempted, I met somebody in July. He was a very nice person, very helpful when I moved into the house. But I couldn't cross that line with him. And even if it got close, I cried. My body would not. And that's how I knew I still had work to do because I would always think I could handle it. I can handle anything. But at that moment, I know I was broken and I had to go to therapy because I didn't want to bring that, to my, that who that person was to any relationship because no one else deserved that. Because yes, this happened to me, but it's also my responsibility to take care of it. And for that, I was, that's how I was able to move on. And just some of the coping strategies, because I know you're going to ask <laughs> what happened. How did you cope? Like I said, therapy, having the advocate was really helpful. Um, I got more into self-care, taking more walks in the morning, like we've discussed in other episodes, and just being very intentional about how I curate my life and not the biggest thing is not betraying myself and not going against my intuition. Mm -hmm. That was the biggest thing. So if this has ever happened to anybody, know that you're not alone. Know that you still have time. You can still tell your story. You can still report the violence. Um, in Texas and California, you have 10 years to report any sexual violence in Maryland, you have three years from, and this is from the time of the incident. Um, in DC, there's no limit. In New York, you have two to five years. In Massachusetts, you have 15 years. And in Georgia, you have three years. And I just picked those out as major cities and a cities I've lived in mm -hmm. because in having that conversation with a detective that day, I realized this wasn't the first time that I felt that someone crossed the boundary when I said, hey, we just started dating. I don't want to have sex too soon. Or you're intoxicated or you're under the influence of something else and someone takes advantage. I've had those conversations with those men. That was tough. I have not spoken to this man since this happened. The day it happened, I text him to say, what did you do to me? And his response was, this is something you do. And I'm not going to get wrapped up in it. I know this is beyond me. And he'll see his day. He'll see his day. But I want to make sure that uh, we share resources with our community so that you feel empowered to report it, to heal, and just be kind to yourselves. Um, yes, as Tiffany 
mentioned um, going through the rape crisis center and we're just because people are listening from different locations. Mm-hmm. There is a national organization called RAIN, which stands for the Race Rape Abuse Incest National Network. Um, so their website is RAIN, R-A-I-N-N dot org. And their phone number is 800 800- Six five six hope. So eight hundred six five six four six seven three. And based off of the first six digits of your phone number, so your area code and those first three, it'll automatically route you to something local. But if you're like a lot of us, you've moved and had the same phone number forever. Mm-hmm. So it will give you that option of entering a zip code so you don't get routed to a place that you no longer live. Um, but like Tiffany said, they provide counseling. They provide um, an advocate that can help you through the legal process. So it's definitely a valuable resource. They can help you figure out what that timeline is for you to report something if it isn't something that's happened to you recently. Um, So again, if you're not comfortable talking to someone that you know about what happened, this is a resource that you can go to, to get answers to your questions and guidance or assistance. Um, So we definitely wanted to make sure that we shared that with everyone. And again, National, something that you can use no matter where you are. Mm-hmm. It is R-A-I-N-N dot org. Just feel comfortable to save yourself. It's okay to save yourself. Just think about what you would want your best friend or your closest person to tell you in this situation. It was difficult, like I said, to tell my family, to tell my friends. My mother was so hurt. She thought she did something wrong. And I had to separate my feelings from hers because as a mother, you want to protect your child. Even at this big grown age, she still asks me every night, did you put the alarm system on? A lot of people don't ask me about it because I don't talk about it with everyone. But now you know. So understand I'm human too. And... My trauma is not just mine. It's for everyone because other people are dealing with this and they need to heal. And for the friends and family, if somebody tells you this, don't make it about you. Mm-hmm. Don't say, oh, well, yeah, that happened to me. Don't start crying because just listen to them. Just just listen to them. And we just need that in our everyday life. Just listen to people and don't turn it about you. Let them vent, let them speak, and then you'll have your turn one day too. But this is their journey, and they're going to have to figure out a way to get through this. Just be there for them. Check on them. Don't have to bring it up all the time unless they bring it up. But care, check in. Don't just, if you feel uncomfortable, don't forget about them. I felt forgotten and ignored a lot, and it hurt. And it changed a lot of my relationships where I don't have conversations with people about anything serious. Because in that moment, when something terrible happens to you, it sorts out the people in your life for you. Mm -hmm. 
I hope this helps somebody because it was it was it was freeing for me. And I appreciate it if you've gotten this far. And just thank you for letting me have this space. I read something the other day that uh, Charlemagne the God, he posted about trauma. And he says, we don't get over or move on from our trauma. We are forced to make space for it. We carry it. We learn to live with it. And sometimes we thrive in spite of it. It takes a lot of work. Your trauma is not your fault, but healing is your responsibility. And I want you guys to heal. I want everyone to heal. We're all dealing with something. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I love you. Amen. So again, this is a safe space. Um, We are a resource. We will include the website and the phone number and the description for this podcast. So please use the resource if you need to use it or share it if you know someone that needs it. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe wherever you are listening to this podcast on Apple Google, Spotify, follow us on Instagram at girl underscore move underscore on underscore podcast and on Twitter at girl move on pod. Until next time. Bye, everyone. We love you. Bye.